Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My name is Jenna, and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. If you are struggling with obsessive compulsive disorder, then check out NoCD. NoCD offers online therapy for people who are struggling with OCD anywhere in the United States and now in the United Kingdom. You can do live video sessions with a licensed therapist who specializes in the treatment of OCD, which is exposure and response prevention. Between sessions, you'll get 24-7 support from our peer support community and our clinician-guided tools. You also have the ability to message your therapist from the app for additional support and encouragement. Plus, the app tracks all of your exposures, and there are tons of other ERP tools on there too, like an SOS track to put on when you're really, really struggling. You can get started by booking a free call at www.treatmyocd.com or download the free NoCD app to get started. And depending on what state you live in, you may even be able to work with me as your therapist. We even have free support groups that you can sign up for, and they're all led by a therapist who specializes in ERP. Head to www.treatmyocd.com and tell them that Jenna Overboss sent you. Right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of All the Hard Things. Um, today, we actually have a guest who is going to talk to us a lot about her own personal experience and just her kind of opinion about what is actually a really big, I think, overlap in the OCD community. Um, so we're going to talk about kind of the overlap between OCD and anxiety or uh, eating disorders. So. I think that this is totally underdeveloped in the field and we really need to kind of just bring more attention to it and more awareness to it. So Emily, thank you so much for being here and being willing to share your story and just the kind of things that it evoked for you and all the difficulties that this overlap gave to you during your experience of it. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, So I was uh, started treatment for anorexia in August and I was able to do an IOP program so I could stay in school. And I don't like have a particular moment or a time that I can like look back on and say that caused my eating disorder or that's when it all started um, because it was just the accumulation of so many rules. And I think that's where the OCD comes in. Um, When I was younger, when I was around 15, I had um, 
a lot of intrusive thoughts and severe phobias, one of which was the sun. I was so um, afraid of getting skin cancer and it was the middle of summer and I couldn't go outside without just debilitating anxiety and lots of tears um, because I was convinced I was going to get skin cancer. So I was avoiding the sun and just like putting on copious amounts of sunscreen. And I never like put the dots together until um, in the IOP program, I was seeing um, a psychiatrist and she was like, I think you might have OCD. And I was like, able to connect the dots between my past experience and this experience and how it sort of shaped my um, uh, eating disorder with all of these rules. I just like, I never really had a bad um, experience, like relationship with my body growing up um, until like I started getting older and started getting on social media like, when I was 16. And I was really into researching nutrition and um, just being healthy, which I think is a totally fine thing to be. But um, I just started getting into these rabbit holes on Instagram where it's like there's only one way to be healthy and you have to like follow these rules and um suddenly I had all of these rules that I had to follow because otherwise you know like I was asking to be obese or no one would respect me or I wouldn't be able to do um my job um and it all like really became uh like I really uh saw how stuck in this hole I was with my food rules and just my like compulsive activity and distrust of all of my body's functions when um I had the opportunity to go to yoga teacher training last summer and I was so excited this was I love doing yoga and my mom is a yoga teacher and so that was really special um that i was going to be able to connect with her uh, and share this uh, passion for yoga and i it was in florida and i live in pennsylvania so i was gonna have to travel and stay there and i remember just being completely wrapped up in this fear of what i was going to eat while i was there I wasn't uh, worried about, you know, the people or the program or the yoga. I was just so, so consumed by what was going to be served and um, also like how others were going to view my body. And I was convinced that I was going to gain all of this weight while I was there because I wasn't cooking my own food and I wasn't able to like eat on my schedule. And I was talking to my therapist at the time with that what about that and she was like I think that you need to get evaluated for an eating disorder and I was like absolutely not like I I do not want that I don't don't think I have a problem um because at the time like, I was still eating like a decent amount and it just got less and less over the summer um through out the yoga teacher uh, training and then we went to the beach my family and that week that we were at the beach it was great but 
I really like didn't spend time with my family. We were like all in the same house. Yet I was in a completely different world just about like what time I was going to eat and exactly what I was going to eat. And I brought my own bowls so that I would know like how much to eat. Um, and I just, I didn't share in making all the same memories that my family did. And when I got back, I was like, you know, if my friend was going through this, I would tell them that they needed to get help. So I made an appointment at the eating disorder clinic and eventually like two months later from that first appointment, I started the program. Um, and because of my low weight and health concerns and my mental state, um, they wanted me to go inpatient, but I, um, didn't want my eating disorder to take away the one thing that I still really, really, really cared about, which was school. So I am so grateful that the staff was able to work with me um, so I could do the IOP well in school, which was online because of the pandemic. And I think that really helped motivate me to make progress with my recovery. Yeah, well, like you, just in explaining your experience with both of these things and talking about like rules and schedules, you can totally witness the overlap that's going on. So um, I'm curious, like, just so others can maybe have a more visual, practical idea of what we're doing. um, What were some of the rules or like really rigid patterns that you found yourself having to keep up with? Um, So I had like, so how I would come up with rules is that like, I would have like one day after dinner, I would be full. And I was like, you can't be full because my brain was equating full with fatness, which, um, and which is obviously like not true. And it's healthy to be full after a meal. So I would think, um, I would ruminate on like what I had just ate and I'd be like, okay, I can't eat that again. So I first started, you know, like decreasing my fats and then avoiding oil and, then um, I, you know, was still eating some processed foods at the time. Then I was like, no processed foods at all. Um, I can't have um, any beans because they make me bloated. <laughs> I can't have any grains. And then I was like, at one point I was eating like fruit, salad and potatoes. And then I was like, I can't have potatoes. It's just too much. Um, and then I was like three meals a day. That's too much. And, um, like, and I would have like rules about like how I would eat certain foods. Like if I, for my breakfast, I would have a plate of fruit and I, um, would have to like eat it in a certain order because otherwise it would like quote unquote mess with my digestion, which just isn't true. And that's definitely not scientific. Um, and so not only did I have all those food rules, but I had very strict, like time that I had to eat at so I would drink a certain amount of water at a certain time and then I would wait like until 11 or something to like eat my first meal and there was like a whole um, routine of like preparing my food and I hated 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 getting interrupted um in my routine it really like threw me off and I was just always in a bad mood which um 
definitely like had to do with anxiety, but also the fact that I perpetually had low blood sugar and was just undernourished. Yeah, absolutely. So I think you're highlighting so many things that people went with both disorders or either of the disorders would struggle with. So irritability, not wanting to be interrupted. Um, so, you know, I can witness even in, in listening to your story, like the difficulty that it took for you and the time that it took for you to kind of get the right help. Um, so I guess like, just talk to me about kind of the, ex the difficulty experiencing, you know, your approach to treatment and the like hurdles or roadblocks that you ran into because they're, they were so overlapped. Definitely. There were some hurdles that I experienced. Um, first of all, when I started program, obviously the biggest concern was, um, you know, eating and getting back to a healthy amount of um, like calories and appropriate energy intake and decreasing the compulsive exercise and um, the food rules. So that was great at first. I started, you know, like working on that and de uh, decreasing those behaviors. But as my eating disorder behaviors um, started to uh, go away and I would engage less with the eating disorder thoughts, um, other sort of rules came <laughs> Um, and it really made it challenging for me to interact in some of the groups because I developed this like fear of like missing my house. And it wasn't like I was afraid something bad would happen at my house if I wasn't here, but just like I'm missing valuable time if I'm not at my house um, or like I'm missing time to do um things that I need to do which is totally arbitrary and like I had to be productive and do a certain amount of things every single day and while my eating disorder was still um affecting me these other rules were a huge part of my life and they were um, impacting my relationship with my family because like, I couldn't eat at the same time with them. I couldn't do things in the evening time because I had to do my nighttime routine. Um, so it was it was hard in some of the in some of the groups because we did have a few exposure groups because they were all food focused, and I really wanted to be held accountable for doing things that were outside of this food focus. Um, so. I communicated that and did get some support, but it still, I feel like wasn't as supportive as I needed it to be. And another thing that came during treatment um, was I had appointments with a registered dietitian each week and she supervised like my meal plan and uh, my intake and answered like questions and looked at my labs and stuff. Um, and as my uh, energy was increasing, my energy intake was increasing, I started tracking my calories. And this was something that I didn't really do before um, I started um, in the program. I would do it occasionally. But when I say that I was eating the same exact thing every single day, I'm not exaggerating. Um, so I didn't need to do that every day. But 
as I started going through treatment and my meal plan started increasing and increasing as um, uh, my like metabolism went up and also like as I just got used to eating again, um, I started tracking and again like it didn't it was just like a casual like tracking but then it eventually turned into me like literally weighing everything and it would take me like 30 40 minutes to uh weigh everything enter it and then cook uh, my food and again I hated being interrupted and made me so uncomfortable and people were watching um this definitely made the um like going out of the house harder because I was like, I can't track and I have to go out of the house. Like both of these things are so hard for me to do. Um, and my dietitian like asked me about like this, what, um, my like calorie tracker was saying, and she didn't necessarily say it's totally okay. You're doing this, but she also didn't say you need to stop doing this. So, I think that that led to my like tracking increasing um, and not decreasing throughout treatment. Um, and I did like exposure and planned like one day a week, I wouldn't do tracking. And I was in um, the IOP program from September until the middle of December, three days a week. Um, and by the end of that, I was, like tracking still five or six days out of the week but then with the support of my outpatient team I you know reduced it like one day at a time and then I was sitting at like three days a week and one day I just realized I didn't need to track um and that I could tolerate all of those uncomfortable thoughts and feelings and uncertainty which obviously is a huge thing with OCD is you don't have any way to be 100% certain I don't even know if like I was tracking accurately because you know food has different uh caloric and nutritional contents at different points in time um so just learning to embrace that like uncertainty uh has been you know really challenging but one of the biggest takeaways and also just something that I know that I personally need to be cautious of is just as one thing starts improving, just get curious if other things seem to get worse, not necessarily like let them get worse, but be proactive about it so that they don't necessarily turn into something that I have to actively combat, like the tracking um, and leaving my house and doing things like outside of my routine. Yeah, you're bringing up something that I think happens with people a lot, which is um, anytime that there's kind of like this, this comorbid situation going on, um, and I think especially with OCD and eating disorders, as you tackle one, it can seem like the other one just flares up really incredibly. Um, and that was kind of what you were saying, right? Like as your eating disorder became under control, um, the OCD in other ways kind of flared back up or vice versa. And that happens a lot. So I think, yeah, I would totally agree. Stepping back and just getting curious about that, like just being really vigilant because I think that whack-a-mole situation where like you work on one problem, that's great, but then you're kind of compensating for that distress in some other area. 
I would get curious, like hopefully with a licensed professional who's experienced in these areas, get curious about like, what is the common thread here? Like with OCD and with eating disorders, a lot of it is control, right? And like wanting to have control and, you know, have things a certain way. And so if you are extinguishing that fear in the superficial form of OCD, but then still just like overcompensating to get that protection from that fear in eating disorder sense, you're still giving into the fear, right? Like you're still giving into that core fear. You're just doing it in a different way. And so I would echo that 100% and add that it's important, I think, to step back and get curious about like, whoa, what's the core fear here? Like, what's the need for control about? What's the need to have everything perfect about? And how do I challenge that? Because I think if we, I think if we don't do that, people can continue to have this whack-a-mole thing going on. We're like, yep, I work on my OCD, but my eating disorder is out of control. My eating disorder is out of, is under control now, but I'm going to go back to my OCD behaviors because you're still just trying to find some way to desperately protect yourself from whatever this core fear is. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. <laughs> no, I um, love that. Definitely is a great way to put it. And I think that it is super important, especially when looking at the comorbidity between eating disorders and OCD. Um, I think that a lot of people in the eating disorder community experience that core fear of like not being perfect and not being able to do things perfectly, not being able to look perfect. Um, and it goes back to that core fear, just like you were saying. I've often said that one of my favorite go-to self-care routines is to get my nails done. But if you're like me, then you just can't justify salon prices or the harshness that these bring to your nails. Olive in June allows you to get the salon quality manicures and pedicures at home. You can easily go up to seven days without chipping, you don't have to leave the house and you can finally stop spending $35 or more every two weeks on getting them done. For $10 off your first order, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com and click on deals. Yeah, I think those are, are really important to, yeah, just get curious with yourself about, to talk to a professional about. And I think something else that's super cool that you enlightened our listeners to is this concept that the treatment for OCD and the treatment for eating disorders really isn't all that different. Um, I know even just in my experience, we would do a lot of exposure-based therapy with people um, who are struggling with eating disorders or eating-related disordered problems. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of people, professionals or people who are struggling or family members don't necessarily realize that that could be or might be an aspect of their treatment. So give me kind of your experience. Like, I know you said that you had done some food exposures, but like your own interpretation of the overlap there and how, what treatment really looked like, just in case anyone out there is curious or afraid of their own journey through treatment. Definitely. So, um, like you said, and I said earlier, there was a lot of exposure, uh, therapy. We had, uh, an exposure group every week where uh, we would pick three food exposures, which I eventually turned into like uh, just 
experiential exposure. So that might look like going out to eat, but still eating a safe food. And then the next step would be going out to eat and getting something that's not a quote unquote safe food. Um, but other like exposures um, for me, like I said, was not tracking for a day or not tracking a meal or eating a meal that someone else made. Um, like all those things sort of go back to that control uh, and wanting that control because when you're not cooking or you're not measuring, like you don't have um, complete control. Other groups that um, I had were, there were some educational groups about, you know, like how do you eat quote unquote normally? Um, because it's hard sometimes to like think about what, it's like to eat and behave without an eating disorder, especially in a society that is promoting diet culture and this pursuit of thinness. So there were some educational groups about that. And um, there was a motivation group, um, which just helped to identify what um, your motivations are and how to build upon your motivations to um, recover, which that group was really impactful for me because when I started treatment, I didn't want to recover. I didn't want to um, gain weight. I didn't want to let go of the control. I truly believed that I could do everything that I wanted to in my life with an eating disorder. And through that um, group, I came to realize that I maybe I could, maybe I couldn't, but I know that it will be so much easier if I don't have an eating disorder. And I come back to that all of the time, not just with my eating disorder thoughts, but with my OCD and rigidity. I can live like this. Um, Maybe it's sustainable, maybe it's not, but I can live without it and I can be flexible and I can meet my friends for lunch and I can go get coffee with my mom and I can share a family dinner with um, my loved ones. So that was a really like revolutionary um, revelation I had in that group. Um, and I had weekly individual appointments with a therapist, a psychiatrist, a dietitian, um, and a medical provider, and an occupational therapist. Um, the occupational therapist was actually one of my biggest supports for doing exposures outside of um, like eating disorder exposures. So doing things like going to my dad's house and spending time with him or going to my mom's fiance's house and not checking the time because I just have these really strict rules about like how long I can be places, how long I can be out of the house, um, what time I need to do my routine at. So things like that, um, I really found um, her to be great support, which I wasn't expecting. I was like, why do I need an occupational therapist? And eating disorder treatment and everyone uses the occupational therapist for different things because she can help um like teach you how to grocery shop or um, go out to eat navigate those like normal eating situations that 
you know, aren't so normal when you're in recovery from eating disorder. Um, and like I said, we did a lot of like CBT exposure, um, just recognizing what the thoughts were and where they came from. So like you said, going back to that core fear, um, why is it so important that I, you know, look a certain way or, um, fit into these clothes or, um, you know, can get a certain amount of recognition for my accomplishments. Like that, going back to that core fear and getting curious and investigating it and realizing that that doesn't necessarily have to be true. You know, we can have that fear, but we can act courageously in spite of it and move forward. I love that. I love that. Like we can choose differently. We can choose to live a life that coincides with our values. And I feel like that came up probably a lot for you. Like, what are the values that I want? And like, I, sure, maybe I can do those things with an eating disorder, but I'm going to really enjoy them and be able to do them so much more and so much more easily if I get this under control, even though it's going to be really hard, my values won. And so that's so, so cool to just witness that from this perspective. Um, so I, I have, so I have like a ton of questions, but I, I'm really just like trying to think of the people who are listening and I'm always trying to imagine the person out there who's like, yes, this is me. This is me. Like, this is exactly what I needed to hear right now. And so I guess like, what would you tell someone out there who's kind of vacillating in between that OCD eating disorder spiral? And again, like, I, I think it's important too, that we don't conceptualize eating disorders I know you said that there was a point where you were kind of malnourished and underweight, but I think that you don't necessarily have to have an eating, you don't necessarily have to be severely underweight in order to have an eating disorder, right? So like, I think that- Absolutely not, no. Eating disorders and, you know, you can be starving at any size. You can be malnourished at any size and you can have um, a bad relationship with food at any size. Yeah, that's so true. I think that's a great way of saying it. Like, I think sometimes people curb themselves and, and kind of justify consciously or not their own difficulties, you know, and, and, you know, don't really feel like it's that big of a deal because, well, you know, I'm not underweight. I'm not under 90% of my ideal body weight. I still get my period or whatever. Um, or maybe they aren't, necessarily worried about the size. Maybe they're worried like with orthorexia, right? Orthorexia is all about the quality of the food versus the quantity of the food. It's still an eating disordered behavior, right? And those are still things that are dysfunctional and can cause impairment and that treatment exists for. And so I think just bringing light to these not as well-known situations is really helpful. But like with all that said, what would you tell someone who's kind of vacillating prior to treatment, you know, they're not sure about that. They're not sure like to what extent they're struggling. What would you tell someone who's vacillating in between that like OCD and eating disorder cycle? Um, before I answer that, I want to go back to one of the other things you said, which um, is um, that I don't exactly remember what you said, but um, it reminded me of the point that mental restriction where you feel guilt or you, um, 
you know, feel like you can't do these things, even though you are doing them, can have just as much of an impact as the physical act of restricting your food. Um, you know, you can have an eating disorder um, or a disordered relationship with food, even if you are eating, which I think is hard to um, conceptualize in our culture, um, where, you know, anorexia is the only eating disorder I feel like that's really talked about, but there are so many other types of eating disorders and like subclinical disordered eating, which can have just as much of an impact on you. And it may or may not lead to an eventual eating disorder. Um, same with um, orthorexia. I think that um, it can definitely lead to um, like more severe restriction. I definitely related to um, some orthorexic tendencies, which then did eventually lead into anorexia. So I don't think that there's a, like a place you have to be to start um, treatment or to pursue recovery from either OCD or an eating disorder, you can start exactly where you are. Um, and you definitely should in the ideal world have, um, you know, a licensed therapist who has experience with eating disorders and OCD, but it's not necessarily a requirement for healing your relationship with food and your body um, and your thoughts. You can choose in this moment not to engage in a thought, not to um, compensate, restrict, or um, engage in a ritual. You do not have to. And going back to it, you can identify your values right now in this moment and take the day, take a little while and reflect on how your behaviors right now, um, how your actions, how your mindset is in regards to those values. Are you acting in alignment? Um, who do you want to be? Like, what does life look like for you with a normal relationship with food, with uh, self-respect and self-compassion? and the ability to separate yourself from your thoughts. You've said it so many times before, but like you are not your thoughts. Um, and I think that that is just really powerful to realize that you can start at any point. You do not have to have a full on eating disorder. You don't have to be underweight. Um, you don't have to be like debilitated by OCD to start treatment. You don't have to like be unable to leave your house um, to, you know, start making changes. I love that. And I think you're highlighting something that I literally just talked with one of my members at No City about today. We were talking about how exposure and response prevention is like the least therapy therapy ever. <laughs> like it's super skills-based, which is the coolest thing and totally aligned with what you were just talking about, which is that you obviously are better off doing it with a provider, with someone who's experienced in it, can give you that feedback and knowledge and the bumpers and all those things. But there are tons of resources out there that are free and readily available. And you can start to make those changes today. You do not need to like put your life on hold and keep giving into these behaviors until you find the right therapist. Like you can start making those decisions today, right now. And there are lots of things I know Kimberly Quinlan, just like right off the top of my head, she does CBT school 
if you go to, I believe it's like www.cbtschool.com. Um, I hope I got that right, but I'll try to link it in the show notes, but it's a self-guided process where you can essentially learn how to do exposure and response prevention. And I mean, in addition to all of the awesome things that you're saying, Emily, which is like, think about your values, realize that you are not your thoughts, recognize that you have some agency here and assess, like, are you living life within your values or is something else in the driver's seat and make the decision consistently every day, number of, a number of times a day, it's going to take consistency and practice and make sure that you are in the driver's seat. You call the shots. I love that. Um, and oh, sorry, I was going to add that I read a book a few months ago called Stopping the Noise in Your Head by Dr. Reed Wilson. Um, he's an OCD therapist. Um, and the book is really great. It's really in depth and super, super, super approachable um, to help kind of combat those intrusive thoughts as totally CBT framed. But something else we talked about in um, my email search treatment was not always just not engaging with the behavior, but doing the opposite thing. So um, when you're, you know, when the voice comes in your head, like I have to restrict um, or I shouldn't be eating that, you know, you do, you, you do the opposite thing, which is, you know, eat or um, whatever the opposite is. Obviously, in some cases, you can't do the opposite, but um, instead of just not engaging or engaging in some sort of distraction, you just, um, you know, do the opposite thing than you want to. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's a, that's a common go-to like little tool that we encourage people to do in the OCD field, at least. And like you said, with eating disorders, it's largely similar. Um, do the opposite. So really, really cool. Um, how do you kind of manage all of it now after therapy, you know, on a day-to-day basis, how do you manage everything now? Just kind of living the lifestyle of what it is that you've been taught. Um, while I am doing much better and I am feeling more comfortable in my body and navigating, um, food and, um, other like relationships and routines that my OCD has affected, um, I still, have to consciously choose to um, not engage sometimes. Um, When I have really bad body image days or feel uncomfortable in my skin, I often get intrusive thoughts like I'm super dirty and disgusting that I like need to clean myself. Um, And I can't, like in the past, I would have, you know, restricted or like done some sort of like cleanse or like made up all these food rules to like get myself to be clean but um I um do not want to do that I do not want to go back down the path of my eating disorder um but my um (laughs) more like OCD than eating disorder fears like I just like have to clean the house and I cannot stop until the house is clean so it's something that like I'm working on that so um just you know, resisting um, those responses to, you know, you don't have to engage with every single thought, which is something that I um, still remind myself of. And I have like a little mantra, like I'm here now in this moment. And um, I come back to that when I'm really struggling to cope with just the discomfort of 
um, the future or my current like feelings or thoughts. Um, and um, also it has helped to communicate. I live with my mom since I'm home from school because of the pandemic and communicating with her about my OCD has been helpful in the sense that like she understands more about what's going on and that I'm not necessarily, you know, being mean to her or that I don't want to spend time with her. It's that it's so hard for me to do things outside of my schedule or, um, you know, eat something that she made and, um, communicating that with her has also allowed me to celebrate my wins a little bit more because she, I feel like gets a little bit, you know, happier and she truly can recognize when I'm doing hard things. So it has been great to have that reinforcement and support. Um, it's not always easy to talk about, um, you know, like OCD thoughts or, um, like compulsions or rituals, because I personally find them kind of embarrassing that I do these things. And I feel like consciously, it doesn't make any sense. Like why I have to clean my house when I have a bad body image. And, um, it is like embarrassing, but I also know that it's really amazing that I am working so hard to like overcome them and finding ways to be compassionate and proud of myself for, you know, coming this far and continuing to do hard things is, um, something that has really helped me uh, the past few months as I have navigated um, eating disorder recovery and therapy and treatment for OCD. That's so great. It's, it seems like, I mean, you're highlighting what treatment can do, not just for the individual, but for the family. I mean, just truly helping the family coordinate better, understand each other better. And I think that that's really important as well. Um, I guess as we wrap up here, let's, I'm curious what you would tell yourself back then really at any point, if you could go back and give yourself advice or just some encouragement, what would you say? I would definitely say that there, um, like you do not need to get worse to get help. You are worthy of getting help and getting better at any place on the journey. Um, and also just, reminding myself that I can do hard things and that I do not need to engage in every single thought that comes into my head. Um, the hard things sometimes are not things that other people see, you know, like not engaging with thoughts, not creating new rules, not acting uh, with some type of compulsive behavior that is hard and other people can't see it and that doesn't invalidate the strength that it takes to not engage um so just allowing myself to you know get help before I you know got to a point where there was like no turning back um but also just being gentle and giving myself grace and recognizing the hard work that I am doing. Awesome. And you already touched on this a little bit, the concept of doing hard things, but I love to ask all of my guests, why do you think it's important to do 
and go about your life doing the hard things? Because life is so much more than this little world that OCD and eating disorders create. Um, there's so, so many amazing things, amazing people out there. And if I don't do the hard things, um, I won't get to experience them. I won't get to see them. And, you know, life is just, it's more than my fears. It's more than my thoughts. I got goosebumps with that one. I really enjoyed that. And I totally agree. Obviously, I think that that is so, so important. And if we just continue to not want the hard things, right? Like we're going to continue to just retreat into our anxiety, retreat into our comfort zones, and there's nothing good waiting for us there. So I'm so excited and happy and grateful that you shared your experience with us. There's so many good little tidbits in here um, for people out there who are struggling or kind of in that, you know, zone where they're just not sure what to do. So I'm sure people will love to, you know, stay connected with you and, and you know, see your journey as it plays out. So if you don't mind, do you want to maybe share like how our listeners can stay up to date with you, find you maybe on Instagram? Sure. My Instagram is Emily L. Feldman. So it's my first name, Emily, the letter L and then Feldman. Um, I post on there about eating disorder recovery, OCD recovery, um, yoga, mindfulness, uh, school stuff, you know, just a little bit of everything. <laughs> Yeah. And it seems like that's probably, if you're anything like me, that's really important in part of your recovery is advocating and getting the message out there. Um, I think in a way too, it helps keep us accountable. Like we obviously feel so passionately about these concepts. Like it reinforces it for us too, I think. Um, 100%. I love that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was awesome. Um, thank you guys for listening. Check Emily out. I'll be sure to link her in the show notes. Emily, you rock. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for creating this space, Jenna. You're awesome. For more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure that you are the most up-to-date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh and tune into some other episodes here while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other people who need these resources and they otherwise may not get them. With that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.